Amen. John chapter 14 this morning. And as you're turning, let's be praying uh, this week for those that are traveling, those that are hurting. I think of Brother Mike and Miss Pat as he's still recovering and then preparing for his surgery. And let's remember them. Uh, my wife and children will be back this afternoon. They'll be here tonight and uh, be praying for them. They had a good time spending some time with family uh, down in Florida. Amen. And so let's be praying for all those that are traveling. And uh, our young people are back in school. There's uh, sicknesses that have been going around. And of course, everyone's concerned with uh, the viruses. We need to really pray for China, as Brother Lance uh, pointed out this morning. Uh, a lot of things happen around the world, and sometimes we don't think of the effect uh, that it has on friends and family that we have, and especially on our missionaries. And I don't know if you know this, but they have quarantined some 40 million people in China, and where Cannon and Nancy are is one of the areas that is quarantined. They're basically told, don't go out uh, of this area uh, unless it's of absolute necessity. And uh, so we need to be praying for our missionaries. And uh, they face a lot more than just persecution. Amen? And so let's remember them specifically this week. Well, John chapter 14, and we've been studying uh, this gospel for quite some time. And this past Wednesday night, we read uh, from the end of chapter 13 into the beginning of chapter 14, and we looked at the troubled heart and how we can calm our troubled hearts by listening and applying and trusting in the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, when He says the promises that He gives. This morning, we're going to start in chapter 14 and verse 1, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 14. And uh, We won't get through all of that this morning as far as the preaching, but we are going to go over quite a bit uh, that is very applicable and that will help us in our endeavors. Now, I started off by encouraging you and challenging you this morning to give out one track a week and uh, invite one person to church. And what we're going to look at now is a passage of Scripture that's going to help in our witnessing efforts, all right? And so we want to make sure that we understand properly who Jesus is and who He says He is, and we want to make sure that we understand salvation properly. There is a lot, and I mean a lot, of confusion on the subject of salvation, and that's the subject that should be easiest. Amen? Uh, it's not complex in Scripture at all. And so we're going to look a little bit at this this morning. So if you don't mind, let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. John chapter 14, starting in verse number 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father." 
And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest, not, believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of my Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very works sake. Very, verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. And whatsoever I do, Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you for the, those great hymns of the faith that we can sing. I'm so grateful that we can sing the songs of the redeemed this morning. Lord, we're grateful for the fellowship we've had in the Sunday school hour and the teaching time and the fellowship we had in between services as we prepared our hearts for this morning. And I, I pray that everyone here has been exhorted and edified by the fellowship. Lord, I pray now for the preaching time. Help us to be focused on Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would teach us what You would have us to learn this morning. Help us to know the path, the direction that You have laid out for us. Heavenly Father, if there be one here this morning that has not placed their faith and trust in Jesus and Christ alone, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that You would help us to speak clearly. Help us not to preach our own opinion, but help us to be faithful to preach and to teach Your Word. In Christ's name and for Christ's sake, we pray all these things. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. In John chapter 14, as we've already stated, this passage solidifies something for us in these 14 verses in John chapter 14. And we'll see that towards the end because tonight we're going to talk about the deity of Jesus Christ. The deity of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to look at tonight because that's what verse 7 through the end of the chapter or rather through verse 14 deals with is who Jesus says He is in a much greater detail. And we're going to look at some cross-references in Isaiah and things of that nature that would establish that for us. Why is it important that we know how to confirm the deity of Jesus Christ? Why is it important that we know that for a fact? Well, by Bottom line, if Jesus is not God, then He was a liar and we are all doomed for eternity. Bottom line. But Jesus is God in the flesh. Notice I didn't say He was God. He is God in the flesh. And so we're going to look at that tonight. So the central theme, so to speak, this morning and this evening is going to be the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. And so this path that He lays out for us here in chapter 14 is stemming from verse number 4. He's comforted the disciples by telling them that He is going to prepare a place for them and that He's going to come again and receive them unto Himself. And then verse 4 is where we're going to begin. And whether I go, ye what? No. Well, now that you didn't sound very confident in that. Amen? Let's try that again. And whether I go, ye what? No. Ye know. And the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, verse 5, Lord, 
we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And then we have that very famous passage, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by who? Me, Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to take that verse 6 and we're going to break down this way, truth, and life from Scripture. And we're going to see where Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in a way that hopefully will be clear to the hearer this morning and the gospel message that teaches us that there is no other way. Now notice, before, before way, truth, and life, you have the, not a. Amen? He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. And if it's not clear in that first part, He finishes off the verse and the saying by, by giving us, No man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus Christ. It's the only way to have eternal life. Now, we're going to start this morning by helping us because the application here for us as believers is how can we show people their need of the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ? We live in a very confusing time in that Satan who is the God of confusion, amen, he has caused people to believe that they are destined for heaven when indeed they are not. You say, well, what do we mean? Well, here's the question that you have to ask, and as we start to ramp up our witnessing efforts, our door knocking, our visitation, and we start to do some things out in the community that I'm excited about that Lord willing we'll be able to do this year, that He'll give us that opportunity to accomplish. When we ask someone the question of eternity, the question that we should not ask is, are you saved? You say, well, why wouldn't you ask that? Because everybody and their brother believes that they're saved. Mormons believe that they're saved. Amen? Jehovah's Witness believe that they're saved. Even New Agers, people that believe in spiritualism, have been taught the Christian terminology. And they believe that they're saved. But salvation itself is where we differ. So the question that we should ask is, if you were standing before God and He said to you, why should I let you in? What answer would you give him? If you were standing, now I want you to think as well, although I know that the majority of people here would, if, if we were to have you raise your hand as we have before and say if you know that you're going to heaven, you would all raise your hand. Amen? And so I know that that is mostly the application. But I want us to consider that question ourselves as well this morning. If you were to stand and give an account before God the Father and He were to say... Why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Now when you're witnessing to someone, there are two questions that you're asking yourself in your head. Are they saved or are they lost? Are they saved or are they unsaved? And you're going to know if they're saved or lost based on their answer. Let me give you a big for instance. Now we're, 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 we're laying the foundation. We're coming to the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? But here's the question. If you were to stand before God and ask God, or God was to ask you why He should let you into heaven, what would your answer be? Now, I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to think of that. Now, here, if your answer is, well, I joined the church at a young age, then the person who's witnessing automatically in their mind lost. Amen. Amen. Well, okay, if I 
to stand before God and give an answer and to say uh, why I, He should let me in. Well, I, I've done a lot of good things. Lost. Well, well, I, 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 um, I got baptized. Lost. Well, I, I, I've, I've, uh, I've done all these things. I've, I've given a lot of things to the church. I, I've, I've given everything that I have to the church. I've given to the poor. I've done all these things. Lost. Friend, if the answer to the question of why should God let you into heaven is anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, then you're lost. Bottom line. It's all oh, now hold on a second. Now, now I, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. The Bible doesn't say anything about asking Jesus into your heart. Now let's let's stop here. I'm not saying that if you said those words, it's not here's the point. It's not about what you said or did. You, you agree with that? It's not about what you say or do. It's about what he did. It's about what Jesus did. And so salvation is placing faith in Christ Jesus. How do we do that? Well, the Bible uses the word believe. Amen? That's what we do. We believe Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and that He came and made Himself the propitiation for our sins, the replacement for us. And my faith is in Christ Jesus because on my own, there's nothing good within me. Same goes for you. On your own, there's nothing good about any person under the sound of my voice this morning. The only thing good within me now is Jesus Christ. And so when you're witnessing to someone, or maybe if you're struggling with your own salvation, the first question you have to answer is, why should God let me into heaven? And if the answer to that question is anything other than my faith and trust is in the finished work of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. Well, I need to, I, I need to go back to Him in order to ask forgiveness. So, so my, here, oh, here's a big one. Why should I let you into heaven? Because I confessed my sins. Lost. Now that's one where it gets real quiet real often. Because the Bible doesn't tell us in order to go to heaven we confess our sins. What does Romans teach us? Who are we confessing? Christ Jesus. Not our sins. Now listen, am I saying that if you got saved to a young person and you said, Jesus, wash me of my sin? That's not what I'm saying. Amen? That's not what we're talking about. What is your faith in? What is your hope? If it's in your confession, you're lost. If it's in your baptism, you're lost. That's Scripture. Now we're going to notice some things here. We've already got it up on the screen, the first point, the way. We're breaking down John chapter 14 and verse 6. Because Jesus told His disciples that I go, whether I go, ye know. You know where I'm going and you know the way to get there. Where was Jesus going? Back to the Father. So what was He telling the disciples? I've already shown you the way. You know the way to go. So then Thomas says... We know not whether thou goest, here doubting Thomas. And how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. 
Now, I hope, as you're turning to Hebrews, I hope you know me well enough that my goal is never to talk someone out of their salvation. Because if you're saved, you should be confident in that salvation. No one can talk you out of your salvation. I'm not trying to convince anyone here that their faith and trust is not in Christ alone. What I'm trying to do is solidify that for us. So when someone asks you the question, what is your faith in? Why? Why should God let you into heaven? Any answer other than Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection means that you're lost. Now that's something that we really should take to heart this morning. Because there are a lot of people... This is why, and, and you turn to Hebrews 9, I'm trying not to run too many rabbit trails, but it's just hard because I see rabbits everywhere. Amen? I, I, they're, they're, well, maybe I should call them deer trails now. Amen? Brother David gave me some deer meat and Beth was out this week and so I cooked it up and... Man, I ate deer meat with bacon. I ate it on nachos. I ate it by itself. Man, it was good. And then he told me this morning he's got me some ground deer meat in the freezer downstairs to make some, I'm thinking deer chili. Amen. So at this point, right now, I'm seeing a lot of deer. All right? Amen. So I'm going to try not to chase those deer. Amen. I know you don't chase a deer. Anyway, but this is why, this is why every year at Bible school, or when we do anything with young people, I say it's very important that we understand what we tell young people about salvation. Why? Because if you tell a six and seven year old that all they have to do is confess their sins and ask Jesus into their heart, they're saved, you've just lied to them. Amen. Whether knowingly or unknowingly. Because salvation is not in confession of sins. It's not in asking Jesus to come into our heart. It's recognizing, yes, I'm a sinner and I can't get to heaven, but Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and He died, shed His blood for me. All I have to do is put my faith and trust in Him. What does that look like? Lord, I trust You. My faith that You are God in the flesh. You died for me. You died so that my sins would be forgiven and washed and cleaned and gone. That's what that looks like. So it's very important. I'll give you an example. And again, I'm trying not to run, the, but I want, I want to make sure that we understand this. Ben, he's not here this morning. They're on their way. They'll be back about 2.30, 3 o'clock. Well, with Beth's driving, they'll be back in 30 minutes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's probably more like... I used to say it's more like my driving, but the older I get, and of course, when you purchase a vehicle, you tend to drive a lot slower when you first get that vehicle. Amen. I've noticed that. Beth's been giving me a hard time lately. You're driving like an old man. I said, we're not hitting nobody. We're not hitting bumps hard. We're going slow. Amen. Takes 45 to 50 minutes to get to the Blairsville Walmart now. Amen. And it's still there when I get there. Amen. All right. The only thing I might speed to is Chick-fil-A. And all God's people said, Amen. Man, now I'm off on too many rabbit trails. I, I promised I was trying not to do this. Benjamin's been asking a lot of questions lately about salvation. How do I know God loves me? Well, son, He sent Jesus, a part of Himself, His only begotten Son, to die. I said, son, why did Jesus have to die? Well, He had to die because we're sinners. And He would say, we. You know what I mean? He'd say, we. Because that's what He hears. We're sinners. It wasn't personal. And so I could tell He wasn't taking that personally. It was just... Sunday school. Was He ready? No. And so He said, but Dad... He said, I just don't understand. And I said, well, son, I'm going to help you pray that God would help you understand. Now, 
Could I have said, son, all you have to do is say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want you to come into my heart and then you'll be saved and then I'll take him. We'll baptize you. We'll have a good time. I could have said that. Amen. But then what would have happened? He'd have died and gone to hell if he didn't get saved later. Amen. Why? Because his faith was in what he did, not what Jesus did. Amen. You see what we're saying? The last time we sat and talked about it, he's not brought it up again in a few weeks, but last time we sat and talked about it, he was asking questions. And I felt like he was just starting to maybe understand. And then he sits there and he goes, I just don't think I'm ready. I don't get it yet. Now for a six-year-old, that's pretty insightful. Amen? Amen? I don't get it yet. He understands who God is. He knows. What is it that he has trouble with? Understanding the simple things. Why? Because he's simple. Because he's a child. That's why it's very important that we recognize and are very watchful of how we teach our young people about salvation. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse number 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the what? Way into where? Holiness. Holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Now, what tabernacle is Hebrews 9 talking about? Well, if you'll remember from our Hebrew study, if you were here, this is that worldly tabernacle, that physical sanctuary where they had the holiest of holies. But the holiest of holies on earth was not the holiest of all. Where is the holiest of all? The throne room of heaven. Amen. Where God abides. Where God lives forever. And the Bible says in verse number 8 that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. And then it goes on in verse 9, which was a figure, that worldly sanctuary was a figure, it was a picture, it was a type for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, but notice the gifts and sacrifices that man offered, that could not make him that did the service what? Perfect. Nothing that man did made him perfect. Nothing as pertaining to the conscience. Jump down to verse 11. But Christ. I love those verses. Amen. But God. But Christ. When He steps in, life is doom and gloom. There's no way for man to be perfect in conscience. Perfect meaning complete. Not without error, complete. Amen? That's what perfect means. Dark and lost and on our way to a sinner's hell. But Christ stepped in. Look at verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Notice... Not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. Neither by the blood of goats and calves. What was that picture of? The works of man. What we could do. But by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained what? Eternal redemption. 
But don't forget those last two words. For us. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. All the sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament were the keeping of the law and it merely covered the sins of man. When Jesus died and offered His own blood, that blood washed it away. And the signifying of the holiest of all being open for all men, we see in the physical temple as the veil was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the way to God is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand that. Your baptism, if your faith is in that, you're lost. Why? Because that's likened to the sacrifices of the Old Testament. They're works. We'll get to that in just a moment. The blood of Christ gives us entrance into the throne room of God. Now, John chapter 14, he says... He is the way, but then He also says that He is the truth. Let's look at a few places about truth in Scripture. Look at John chapter 4. The Bible teaches us something about truth here. Here we have the story of the woman at the well. Look down about verse 23. The woman asked the question about where should... They worship. Ye worship, verse 22, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the what? Jews. Why? Because we're still in the Old Testament. When does the New Testament start? When Jesus shed His blood. The death of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the what? True worshipers shall worship. Worship the Father in spirit and in what? Truth. How do we worship the Father? Well, we worship in spirit. What does that mean? We don't have to go to a specific place to worship God. We don't have to go to the Middle East to worship God. Why? Because God is a spirit, verse 24, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. He's a spirit, so He can be worshipped anywhere, but He has to be worshipped in a certain way. In truth. Meaning that not any road leads to heaven. There is a true path. The Bible says that that path is what? Narrow. And few there be that find it. And then there's a path that's untrue. And that path is wide. Broad. Many are heading down that path. People have placed their faith and trust in some words. They've placed their faith and trust in their work. They're not worshiping God in spirit or in truth. Why? Well, let's look at the next passage. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 30. And he spake these words. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to the Jews, which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the what? Truth. What does the truth do? 
it makes you free. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now what did Jesus just explain to Thomas and the disciples there at this last hours of his life here on earth? I am the way, the truth. Ye shall know the truth. What does he say that they know? They know the truth. They know the path to God. It's through Jesus Christ. Ye shall know the truth. And what does the truth do? It frees us. What does it free us from? Death, hell, and the grave. It frees us from the consequences of sin. Let's look at one more. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Verse number 13. John 16, 13. How be it when He, He who? The Spirit of truth has come. Who's the Spirit of truth? Well, verse 7 teaches us of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will what? Guide you into all truth. Well, what is all truth? For He shall not speak of Himself... But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Verse 14, he shall glorify me. So the Spirit doesn't guide people to himself. The Spirit guides to truth. What is truth? Jesus Christ. The Spirit guides to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is God. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 is the verse that teaches us that God who cannot lie. There's no lie in God anywhere. He is all truth. Turn with me to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. Verse number 5. Now, when we read this verse, you Bible students, I want you to pick up on the prophetic importance of it. And I want you to write it down if you catch it. And then I want you to go and study it out. But what I want us to see is the latter part of this verse this morning. Let's start in verse number 1. In Thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in Thy righteousness. Bow down Thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house, uh, for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Verse number five. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. You see the prophetic reference? Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Now, we've studied this word redemption. We've seen it mentioned already twice and we've talked about it. We sang about it this morning. That redeeming for sake of time and on its very foundational understanding is a rescuing out of something. And so when the psalmist David 
cries out to God, into thine hand I commit my spirit, thou hast redeemed me. What he's doing is he's placing his trust. Remember verse 1, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. He's placing his trust in the only one who has the power to rescue God. Notice, verse 5, into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Now again, I told you, if if you've caught that prophetic reference, I'll just give it to you. Jesus on the cross. Father, into Thine hand I commend my spirit. You see, every saying of Jesus Christ on the cross is significant. Because every saying points those Pharisees and Sadducees to an Old Testament reference that pointed to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And that final, that final saying, that second to final saying, into into thine hand I commit my spirit, thou hast redeemed. Who has the power to redeem? The truth. God. O Lord God of truth. Turn to Psalm 33 and verse 4. 33 in verse number 4. For the word of the Lord is what? Right. And all His works are done in truth. What are the works of Christ? We're going to look at that a little deeper tonight as we study the deity of Christ. But I hope that we understand that John in John chapter 5 and verse 33 was a witness of the truth of Jesus Christ and that we understand from the Word of God that not only is Jesus the way to God, but He is the truth of God and no man Father but by the truth of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. Then notice He is the life. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse number 4. John chapter 1, verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Notice... Verse 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You see, darkness doesn't comprehend light. It doesn't understand it. But the Bible teaches that Jesus is the light, and in that light is life. And when Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the only one who's going to get you to God, I am the truth, everything that I've done has been truth because it points to God, I am the life, the only way for eternal life is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what is that life? It's Jesus. Notice, look look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, look down to verse 36. He that what? Believeth. John chapter 3, verse 36. It's on the screen if you're not there. He that... What's that word? Believeth. 
He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that, what? Believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. You say, well, how does someone have everlasting life? By believing Jesus Christ. By believing that He is God in the flesh. And by believing that the only way you're going to get to God is through His death, burial, and resurrection. If your faith is in anything other than that, you're trusting in your own works. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. Most of us could quote it. For by grace are ye saved through what? Faith. And that not of who? Yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are whose? His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, do good works save us? No. Should we perform good works? Yes. Because at salvation, we've now been created in Christ. Born again, Jesus said in John chapter 3. Made new, passed from death unto life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So now in Christ we are His workmanship and we're created to good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In what? In the good works that He's established for us. But it's not of ourselves. It's not of ourselves. You see, if you stand before God and He says, why should I let you in? And you say, well... Because I joined such and such church. He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Why? Because He didn't give Jesus so that you... If, if all it took was joining the church, that, there could have been a church without Jesus. You understand that? The Bible talks about the church in the wilderness, that Jewish church. What is a church? It's an assembly of people. That's what a church is, by definition. It's an assembly of people. That's what a church is. Who's the church? We are. But we're not just any church. We're not a church of Jews wandering in the wilderness. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've been created in Him. So if your faith is built upon your membership, you're going to go to hell. That's harsh. That's Bible. If your salvation is based, God, why should, why, why should God let you in? Well, I was baptized. You're going to go to hell. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Can I share something with you? My, my uncle, most, some of you know him, Jamie Grooms. He pastored up in Amherst, Nova Scotia for 17 years. 
went to New Brunswick with me. We were praying about going to Shediac and starting a French Baptist church. He was not welcome in Shediac because Shediac was a very Catholic area. Very Catholic. I mean strong Roman Catholicism. And there was a lady who grew up in Shediac that came to Scotia, got saved, started going to church, growing and discipling. And Uncle Jamie would always make this comment, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, if you can show me infant baptism in this book, I'll eat this book. Why? Because it's not in there. Amen. Nowhere. I'm just going to help you with that. Well, what about such and such a verse? It's not talking about infant baptism. And here, here let me help. This is, this is one of the things. This lady had a mom and a dad that were Roman Catholic. And their faith and trust was in their infant baptism, their confirmation, their confession to the priest. That was what the faith and trust was in. And so she was sitting at the kitchen table and they had called the local archbishop or priest or archdiocese, whatever, he, the, the, the head honcho. The only thing I knew about him was he had two chefs. Amen? He had two, two chefs. He, he had lots of money. They had called him in to try to convince their daughter to come back to Catholicism because they were afraid she was going to die and go to hell because she had, in order to accept Christ, you're rejecting everything else. That's why it's a big deal when a Muslim accepts Christ as their Savior. Brother Raymond Abumake in Lebanon. That, those people that he's witnessing to, they have no family here on earth anymore. Why? Because they're dead to them. Same thing. Remember Brother Jay Ross in Israel? Remember what his family did? They had a funeral for him when he placed his faith and trust in Christ. When he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we, we're, we're, well, we have it so easy. We have it so easy. It's so easy for us to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Because it costs just nothing here in these United States. It costs nothing to say I'm a Christian. If anything, especially in the South, it may get you an upper hand in business. It may help you in trying to uh, make friends in the South. Because it costs you nothing. You see, over there it costs you everything. This lady was sitting at the kitchen table and my uncle, he tells a story, he received a phone call. And it was her. And they're sitting there at the kitchen table and she said, she said, Pastor Grooms, she said, I'm sitting here with, you know, Father so-and-so, the Archbishop so-and-so, Priest so-and-so, and Mom and Dad. And I was wondering, I was wondering what, what to show him in Scripture because we're hitting, having this conversation and I made the comment to him that if... If you can show me infant, infant baptism in that book, then I'll eat that book. And that's what she said to the priest. Amen? And that did not bode well with the priest. <laughs> Amen? But here's the thing. This was the priest's response. Well, you're right. It's not in there. That was his response. Infant baptism is not in that book. But it's in our confessions. What does that mean? It means it's tradition. Right. It's tradition. And so if that per if the, so that man and woman, this lady's mom and dad, their faith is not in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Their faith is in what? Tradition. What is that tradition? Work. It's a work. 
So, mom, dad, if you were to stand before God, why would you be allowed into heaven? Because I was baptized and confirmed and I've confessed. Lost. That's a somber thought. And here's why it's hard for people that have grown up in that to come to that conclusion and to accept that. Because it means that they have to agree that they've been lied to their entire life. They have to agree that their parents were lied to. And if their parents aren't alive, then where might their parents be? You see, it costs them something. See, it doesn't cost us anything. I grew up in church. I'm a third generation Christian. But what about that great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather? Their faith and trust wasn't in Christ. You, you see what I mean? Titus chapter number 3. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you for sake of time. Verse number 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. You see, it's not by any work that you do. It's according to His mercy. And then he goes on in that verse, but by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, it's nothing that we do. It's all about what we believe. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. So here's a question that you get sometimes. Well, if it's about what we believe... And listen, we're not talking about belief over repentance and easy believism, if you know what any of that is. We're not talking about that. Because when you believe Christ, what are you doing? You're changing your direction from trusting in yourself and your works to trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. What's that called? Repentance. That's what that is. That belief will cause us to repent. And so this is what some people will say. Well, so what you're telling me is I don't even have to go to an altar and pray anything. That's right. You don't. Well, now wait a second. How do we, how do we keep up with and how do we know? You, you see how it's changed? Now, how can people that are lost know how to put their faith and trust in Christ like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch except some men show them? When we give opportunity for someone who's lost to come down to an old-fashioned altar and someone will pray with you, it's because we want to make sure that a Christian who's seasoned in this can take you through the Scriptures and show you and make sure that you understand. Make sure that you understand that you know what you're doing and that it's not just some words that, oh, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but the devils believe and tremble. You understand? There's a difference in just saying, oh yeah, belief and assent to knowledge and believing, placing your all in Him, trusting in Him for your eternity. That's why, that's why we have it the way that we do. Do you have to go to an altar and pray? No. 
had a basketball coach got saved in his bathroom at his Christian high school. You, you see what I mean? Well, I have to go to church and get saved. No, you don't. No, you don't. You can pray in your living room. But if you know this morning that your faith and trust is not in Christ and His finished work and His death, burial, and resurrection, I wouldn't leave those doors without getting that right. Romans chapter 9, look down at verse number 30. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. You see, that's where the Jews had corrupted the law of God. They weren't trusting in the Word of God anymore. They were trusting in what they were accomplishing. For they, the end of verse 32, stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on Him, that stone has a name, His name is Jesus, shall not be ashamed. You see, faith in works causes stumbling. Faith in works causes stumbling. And the Jews were placing their faith in the works that they were accomplishing, just like we still do here in these United States. But we'll say, oh, we're saved, because we think we are. We've believed the lie that I'm saved because I was baptized. I'm saved because I joined such and such church. I'm saved because I confessed my sins. None of that is what saves you. It's Jesus Christ and Christ alone that saves you. Romans chapter 11 verse 5, for sake of time, I'm just going to read it for you. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. He's talking about the Jews still. And if by grace then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one